instead of having them imagine who they're listening to. Yeah. No details. It could be a ghost. It could be their yeah. own inner voice speaking to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And your I'm, name, obviously, as well. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to the Sidecast. Well, you're listening to Jeffrey Lillemann. I'm the creative director at the Department of New Realities in Widening Kennedy, Amsterdam. And I'm sitting next to Greta, <laughs> <laughs> the interviewee of Sidecast. Happy to be here. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite sci-fi character? Oh, wow, my favorite sci-fi character. But then we're talking about science fiction. But, uh, you know, there's also a lot of characters out there that are science nonfiction that we have yet to discover. And I think uh, when I look at the fiction side, to answer your question of science fiction, I would, I would say maybe the, the mantis, the, uh, the mantis shrimp, which is quite an alien creature that we know of. And I, uh, or no, sorry, I need to, that's actually science nonfiction. I need to think about science fiction. Who my favorite ca character would be in that? We can change the question. Yeah, maybe like uh, I'd kind of rather go instead of sci-fi, mm -hmm. rather go into like uh, optics and environment, like in, in the environment of art and the optics of art. I think is more interesting than sci-fi characters because I have I do have some sci-fi facts. So I just read recently that the the Klingon language is the most widely spoken fictitious language in the world. So out of uh, all languages that are just made up, and uh, I guess there's 20,000 people that can hold down a conversation in Klingon. And then there is about 20 people that could speak Klingon on an academic level. That is crazy. I can't believe it. Yeah. Can't believe so that's kind of interesting. It'd be really interesting to meet those people, like in the situation where they understand that they like know a different language and they can like communicate. Yeah, there there is a conference. I know that they they have these conferences where they get together and then they just communicate uh, daily things, but all in Klingon and you know, talk about different uses of the language and yeah, I guess order a coffee and in this fictitious wordplay that they can use. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, to go out, I think it's uh, just some things I've been thinking about that are maybe relevant for Sidecast is when we're making art or going to work and trying to make art for brands, just the idea of making art in a natural, unforced way, like just making what feels right, a lot of times comes from the environment that you build around you and what kind of environment you need to be in to think in a certain way, and then how that environment can facilitate different sort of reality perspectives and different kinds of work pipelines. And by pipelines, I mean what kind of system and situation do you want to put yourself in to where you can be as expressive as possible 
but still be able to uh, be technical and be able to produce something. This is quite interesting because we talked um, with Vincent, one of the ex candidates as well, and he said that it's very interesting because he, the side project that he does is actually to do more stuff that doesn't need to be rationalized and it's more about like the feeling. And we kind of had this discussion, like does it feel that like right now we have this kind of weird thing that everything has to be rationalized and everything has to make sense and you have to explain everything you're creating. Yeah, I think, you know, most most forms of, of art and expressiveness come from either like the pure kind of instinctful fantasy of just like this is a fabrication of of imagery and and identity and reality that I want to express and show or it can also be reactionary of placing confrontation in front of yourself or placing foreign tools or placing any kind of uh, unfamiliar object or situation in your foresight and then what are you going to do what's your reaction going to be how how are you going to respond to to that interaction so it's almost like picking your dance partner and figuring out how do you dance with that kind of partner versus a different kind of partner and i like that kind of uh challenge when when making when making anything because you, you know you can easily get stuck in your own constraints and stay within you know a set of rules that you've applied to yourself you're like oh i always do this thing or i always be stylistically like this or make these kind of uh, approaches that that are consistent but if you if you break that with something unfamiliar you get something more unexpected and with that you you can help break away from from having this kind of internal mechanism that tells you one way of 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 making something and then you end up getting a purer form and a more uh human less overworked approach to to creation you know i was like looking at your work and you do have quite a distinct style do you do you think about that or does it kind of like come naturally yeah the style kind of comes from many different ways of getting to that and a lot of times it's about first creating a character and an identity that, that likes certain things, doesn't like other things, and then you know who this character is, and you know kind of like what their their vibe is, what their attitude is, and that helps kind of create a constraint of where that personality can go. And so I like thinking about it from a character standpoint, always kind of like uh, setting these rules. But then as far as like where that character lives and what they kind of do, what kind of situation there is, that's always a reaction to the environment that I'm creating the artwork in and thinking about it in. And that's why I think it's very important to kind of like um, consider the, the space that you're making art in. Like uh, for example, I would create a lot of gothic dark approaches as a contrast to sort of a uh, positive, happy, enlightened kind of reality as a way to balance the two. Because if you stay in one, you're just, you, you don't have enough contrast. 
you need dark to see the light or light to see the dark otherwise if it goes one way you're not getting a vibrancy between the two different emotional states and so on the flip side could be in some kind of dark desolate depressive state of mind and environment and then from there it's going to create things that are much more florally much more fantastical much more in the realm of magic and so a lot of times the the artwork is the opposite reflection of the state of mind and that's a driving force that mixed with the character identity constraints of what their do's and don'ts are is is a big contributor to the stylistic properties of the work and then it can also go down to production pipelines that are built to be expressive within and we look at a lot of different methods of creating imagery there can be 3d and visual effects approaches there can be classical painting approaches modern approaches to painting there can be sculpture there can be airbrushing there can be architectural design how we're dealing with space and light and shadow and material but all of them follow the same principles of of the fabrication of of space and so it's like all right, what is what is the form what is the posture what is the gesture how does the light move on that and so all of the different productions they help inform each other so the more you know about classical painting the more that can drive into it's all right yeah <laughs> no but the more that you drive into classical painting and understand these classical processes of understanding things like how grisaille works and how you're you're dealing with form and value and then you're doing glazing and tinting it later that same production pipeline is the exact same way that it works in vfx and of modeling something and then adding texture overlays on top of each other but then suddenly it's integrating the approach of painting into digital language and that's also quite important it's like how do you how do you deal with different mediums of creating something cold and something organic but the information and the approaches are very similar it's just the way that we're using these tools is a different approach and so i think it's very important that you understand the production workflow of airbrush to inform how you're going to be using a mouse on a computer and that stylistically creates a it help the the formula of working with those different mediums has a stylistic outcome that can be referred to as like oh that's a really organic use of technology or that's a, that 3d animation feels quite painterly or that sculpture has influence from technical 3d visualization and all of these different uh, sides of, of production end up making this new kind of uh, recognizable style and approach to, to image making. I'm also quite like interested how do, do you consider yourself like an artist? Yeah, it, it, that's the first and foremost like the approach is a 
is an artist. I mean, because the, I think the difference between an artist and say like a, a design approach is making things that just feel right that are communicating a state of mind as opposed to communicating a specific message. And, you know, it's no more than just self-expression ultimately, but it can also be the, the idea of fabricating characters and people and, and identities that you want to surround yourself with. So you can also see yourself as a, uh, a creationist that just wants to, to give birth to avatar relationships or just it comes down to like how do you want to spend your time? Who do you want to spend your time with? Do you want to spend your time with characters that are the opposite of your state of mind, which I often do, to kind of like help help with a, uh, a sense of well-being and happiness. Or if I'm happy and want the contrast of something dark to like bring it back down to find balance with this, uh, you know, which is something I'm always striving for is just how to, how to always create contrast between, between self, self state of mind. And I kind of asked that because I, I have like some friends who are like in the kind of VR, 3D world, and I think it's, there's something like obviously very unique about the way you approach everything because there's, there's so much art in that, which usually when you see people in this kind of 3D or like the VR world, you, they're quite, I, I don't know how to like, technical maybe more than like artistic. Yeah. And that's maybe like, and I kind of wonder how that happened. Like, what's what's the kind of backstory of that? Where where did you start, and how did you get into? I think that's a good question. I've always been interested in just the the way optics work in general, and how how light and shadow and form and all of these things works on a technical level. And I've always been sort of striving for like the ultimate approach to, to image creation. And so a lot of it comes from just reading and understanding the way, just the way that things exist, like what we're seeing and why we're seeing them, why our eyes see things the way they do, how other people see things than, than yourself, like everybody's seeing things in different ways and what information we're able as humans to, to get. And so, that's always been a driving force for the use of technology and it's like okay you can make a painting and you can be imaginative and fall into that world or you can create that effect and build a 3d environment that you can step inside in virtual reality and you can see it in that way it can convey a certain motion through movement and then that requires another set of investigation of like all right what kind of like posture what kind of like animation is going to make this feel good and it always there's always just one step that leads to another thing it's like a start with sculpting understand the approaches of that and then okay then once you kind of established like a, a method of working with sculpture then you're like all right what does color do as a separate thing because color has a different way of communicating visual energy than 
light and shadow does. And so then you can start overlapping that on top of sculpture and then you're like, okay, that's interesting. Then let's start bringing in materials like the, let's see how reflection is going to start bouncing off of this or translucency or different like kind of approaches. And then that's another layer of investigation to look into. And then it can go into composition with other 3D objects, world development, expansion, and then that becomes another thing. And then getting into the science of dynamics of like, all right, how is fluid going to interact with this sculpture or this piece of art? Or how, if I started on fire, how is nature going to overtake it? And then that is another step of understanding, okay, what is this, the science of nature and how can that be affected in a way that also has its own kind of statement? Like what if what if fire suddenly has inverse gravity applied to it? And so it has a completely different visual effect if you do that. And these kind of ideas are like, okay, what's the poetry or the formula of changing dynamics to have an interesting outcome? And so start playing with that and then understanding how things in nature work. And then suddenly you can make art that is has nothing to do with sculpting or painting but just has to do with how you're breaking the constraints of reality and running simulations that give you different kinds of results and all of this leads to yeah an ever-growing like uh, curiosity for for what's possible and and just being being reactionary to, to new challenges. And so a lot of times like these technicalities can be the same as in a house. If you just suddenly dropped off a bunch of steel in your house, like what are you going to do with it? You can also have that with technical challenges. It's like, okay, try to understand what it does, how it works as it was intended to, and then how it works if it is used in a way that it wasn't intended to, to produce something unexpected and interesting. What about when even like a little bit maybe even more back like when you like when you studied was like w did it have anything to do with it or like did you how, how did you like find this like pathway into creating all these characters now? Yeah, it always. Or does it feel like supernatural? Kind of came natural. It was a had a pretty good understanding of classical art approaches and painting and drawing and just playing with uh, just ways of producing art and then from there I got into the idea of animating paintings and doing a lot of net art approaches of having animated paintings that just existed online and used a little bit of animation to give a certain sense of liveliness so that they would always be living and breathing and being viewed on the on a website as a as its intended art medium format so this idea of producing art for the solitude of a computer as opposed to producing it for being in public gallery space and that kind of got me on a path of just understanding digital approaches mixed with classical approaches and after many years of, of working in that circle, it just it 
just the curiosity started driving different ways of doing that or what's another way of animating or what's another way of sculpting or what's another way of texturing and all of these different technologies that were coming up offered a lot of opportunity for experimentation and it got me to a point now to where I feel quite comfortable being able to make anything that I wanted want to make like there's not really like a lot of restriction so now I can really start using the tools in a way that is a uh, it's not concerned about the technicality so I don't have to like sit there and and be meddling and experimenting too much you can actually just kind of go free form straight from mind to production and sometimes have doubt but just try to be as instinctful as possible and and throw away any uh, yeah throw away doubt throw away doubt and so maybe that's kind of like a nice uh, intro into what what's your recent side project that you've been working on yeah the recent side project so making art all the time and I try to incorporate that into the business as well of this approach of of making things so I try not to create separation and of course there's going to be more meetings during the day less meetings at night but the same kind of strategy and philosophy is applying to the side things I do and home things I do so I see it all as one encompassing kind of reality that they all influence and feed each other and so what I do at home is a reaction to what I do at work and then what I do at work is a reaction to what I do at home and so I try not to create separation but if to, to answer the question of like what do I do when I leave the office doors at my house I'm creating a, an environment of trying to turn the whole place into an art piece so thinking about spatial design, how to grow a forest inside of a house, how to think about uh, aqua acoustics of having water run through the house. You always have the so sound of water moving throughout the space. And then I've started that kind of environment. And then within that environment, I'm doing apocalyptic portraits of my cats. And so dealing with classical oil painting techniques but then doing experimentations with how fur dynamics works in 3D and having that inform how I'm doing classical oil painting. And so that's something that I'm working on. And then I'm doing a series of Dutch still lives, but in 3D animation. So it's uh, doing like the classic windmill approach, but playing with how the moon and how the sun moves in a in a uh, unnatural way. So that's creating light patterns that seem familiar, but oddly off. And that's been kind of like a nice thing to think about is like to think about the way that the sun and the moon move if they don't move the way that we think they move and what that does to an environment. In this case, these Dutch still lives. It's quite and interesting to think like something so, it seems overused in a way, I guess. The kind of like the Dutch like windmill and yeah exactly and that's that's the whole point is to uh, to to create something that has familiarity but tweak it in a way that is 
not being absurd or obscene, but just changing one variable. It could be like wildly outlandish and different approaches for doing a Dutch interpretation, but in this case, it's just one, one adjustment of light, and it becomes a completely different way of looking at something quite cliche. Uh, and the bitmap yeah. Are you saying it right? Yeah, bitmap banshees. Yeah. Is like was that like a side project? Or was that like because you, you said like you, you interconnect everything, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so bitmap banshees was a project, the first project that we did in the department. Mm -hmm. So there was quite a few of us working on that with Anita and Rhea Alexis and Anna Truce and her father and Mark Winkelhofer and David Neville. And so it was a small team of people, but we wanted to, to create something that had contrast in time with a familiar site of Amsterdam in front of the office, specifically like where we're walking in and out of every day. And the idea was to, to run Bitmap Banshees as an, uh, an apocalyptic, the apocalyptic, future forecast of what Amsterdam could become in 50 years. So this is the hell version of Amsterdam. But we intentionally did that so that you'd come off the streets of seeing Amsterdam like you do, and then you put on the VR headset and you ride this bicycle, and suddenly you're in this dark, twisted sub-reality of, of what you know, and then you have to avoid banshees and avoid ghosts and avoid these goblins and all these kind of elements of fear to create the gameplay and to give like a sense of tension and to create a something that's still exploratory but scares people to death and that was the that was the motivation behind it and also to yeah how, how we could hack the technology into being something that is is just used in a different way so just using, you know, hacking a bicycle together with the Xbox controller and all of these things, there was something. So the the installation itself felt on theme with what you're experiencing inside of the world, and that's always something that we try to consider with VR: is what's the experience for people not in VR? So how do we create like a a spill out from from the VR environment into the non-VR reality, so that it kind of like a, gives a voyeuristic perspective on people waiting to have their turn or that are, don't dare go inside that space or just can't deal with it or to lure in the people that uh, are really longing for something like that. It's really interesting to see like how everything it seems like that you do is kind of like interconnected like with the real world and then the, the kind of building your own environment and then putting and then doing some projects there which you're then feeding into the kind of 3D world. Like if, I think that's 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 something like really unique as well because you don't I don't I don't see that a lot in um, in certain like other creatives that I know in like three D world it, it seems like they keep it very like separate it's kind of like yeah it's a I think that's it's definitely something that's really important because there's a lot more similarities between all of those different things than than it seems you know you can have classical painters that would look at a computer and at the 3D and be like, and look at the interface and be like, oh, it's just like, why bother with all of that? But it's all the same language. It's just, it's just laid out in a different way. Like one example is Grisai, 
which is the gray underpainting when you when you're going with oil painting and there's a lot of people that understand how to paint grisaille and will go with that approach and that that's ex the exact same thing in 3d but called ambient occlusion and it's the same idea of like defining your highlights and your shadows and then your glazing texture and color over the top and so it's just about making the connection between those two things and then you can go to a classical painting class and suddenly you're much better at 3d on a computer and the the crossover is it's all there there's a bridge there's a link there and you just have to be willing to to look into it and I find it fascinating I, th I think that both sides inspire each other and you can appreciate one thing over the other because you understand that some approaches are faster than other approaches but you still have to consider what you're doing ultimately with the same amount of intention. Um, the other thing that you said that the, s the side projects and the work come like together as well, that's quite, that's quite interesting. That's quite, because people, everybody, well, most people that I interviewed now, they do keep it very like separate. Yeah. How do you like, so how, how do you manage that? How do you like, how do you see those kind of like links I mean, I think it's like a, I don't know any other way of like being able to just like shut off one headspace and go into another headspace. I think that they all need to be together. I mean, it's a, it's, it's hard to just flip on a different hat at nine o'clock in the morning and take it off at six. So I think it's a lot about finding something that you're really interested in doing or finding something about everything that you're doing that'll be interesting to your personal criteria. So there might be something that I could do at work that is different than I would do at home, but there's still I'm still getting something from it. I might be technically very interested in it, or I might be creatively very interested in it. Or there's always going to be some kind of learnings from everything. I think that's kind of what it's all about, is having some kind of challenge and some kind of situation that gets you thinking differently and I find a lot of value in that so even if there's something that I'm less interested in doing I find that that is a, inspiring somehow that it's like okay as long as there's something something in there that is a challenge that I have a, a real ambition to kind of do it and, and I get that both from working at home you have more cat a certain like way of looking at yeah, I think it's a certain way of lo looking at w what you do for work and what you do for home. I mean, it's a, maybe it's because I'm working all the time, so it always feel. But it, if you're working all the time with something that you like doing, it's not really working. You're just living and you're just expressing yourself and trying to solve business problems for people at work. And luckily, I'm just in, I'm in a position to be able to uh, to find benefits at work that have something interesting for me in 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 a in some capacity and same for at home you know it's not always everything at home is exactly what you want to do every side thing is exactly what you want to do like it's not fun to clean paint brushes but then again maybe it is you know it's not fun to answer emails all day but then again maybe it is if you just if you let yourself kind of not see it as a chore or a task but as something that can inform another state of mind and and almost these kind of repetitions can also be good 
and I find that like repetitive tasks that don't require lots of like deep thinking can actually subconsciously trigger quite a few things and then the back of your brain is suddenly coming up with things through so your mun- mundanity my friend actually did a project about that it's like about the creative brain and she did these little things that apparently if you like just take a minute of your day and sort like a little pile pile of like colors or something in like color so they would like match like yellow blue but and then you just sort them yeah. out and af- apparently after that you're going to be more creative than if you continue trying to be creative yeah like trying to solve a creative task and then going into and doing creative work like yeah yeah Exactly. Kind of quite interesting. Yeah, you just need things to do. I think that's the most important is to make sure that you're not bored. Because if you get bored, you can suddenly get a bit of depression and kind of go and lose a little bit of spark. But if you always have things to do, that can help. It can be inspiring. It can be inspiring to be busy. So do you? I mean, what you're saying is amazing, and then you find like the way to like connect those two, and I think a lot of people are going to be quite like surprised. But do you, you, do you, did you always have this um, opportunity, maybe even like? Cause I think that the more I explore with these kind of things, the more connected they they are, and so all of these different approaches and thought processes and philosophies of how to how to go about making art or making anything is they're less separated so they're getting closer and closer and closer and I think the more technical I've become or the more that I've understood these different kind of approaches that I've found more similarities so I still have a lot to, to understand but it starts to yeah find their way into each other I think in the same way that language would work like speaking many different languages you suddenly you're like oh yeah that's these are similar in that way and you start to understand like phonetic balances next to each other and you're like oh yeah that's very similar that's very similar but you can express yourself a little bit different this way or that way or understand it's almost like understanding the culture of medium and that they have different kinds of uh, philosophies and uses but they're coming from a very similar starting point. It's quite interesting because you said in the work you look for kind of like the differences, the kind of like, and then, but in life you kind of look for similarities? Yeah, I guess so. Because I think it's about, yeah, I find contrast in the work very important, but in the way of approaching work and life, I'm looking for similarities. So I guess it's about just finding one continuous flow that you're on and then working with opposites and contrast to make sure that the balance stays there so you have the dark and the light and the light and the dark. Yeah, like a question what kind of inspired your style, but I think it's like a hard, it's a hard question because I guess it's like a combination of things. I or mean, like maybe even like not style, but like the philosophy that you have, like it's yeah. Like where do you where do you look where do you look for like inspiration for like let's say okay when you're if you're stuck in creating like a character, what's 
what's the kind of process that you used to? I think that Is there a, a lot of a lot of the approaches that I would take for characters and and style and things like that, if you mean by that, is almost like a punk attitude towards what's expected. So a lot of times I'm kind of playing with like, oh, if it's if we're dealing with 3D and working in that language, what's the the opposite of what's expected in a way? So I'm still using contrast in the same way, but it's like okay, the 3D is used in this way. Well, let's use 3D with absurdity and something completely the opposite. So I'm always kind of like taking inspiration from the opposite of what's expected of the medium. And so that kind of like a lot of times can go into humor or can go into horror because that's coming from something very, very sterile and clean and very humorless. And so that's the starting point and then more of a child of the moon than a child of the sun. So in general, a lot of my approaches that are generally the opposite of the medium veer towards the, the gothic spectrum and the psychedelic spectrum. Why do you think, oh, this is gonna be interesting because you don't separate work and passions as much. I usually ask people why, why do they think passion projects are important, but well, I think that you could just say why passion is important. Yeah, I guess in your case, because they kind of interconnect now, so... I mean, passion is in... I think that a lot of times we can get caught up in thinking thinking that what we're doing is the wrong thing or second-guessing ourselves. And all you have to do is really just care about something and try to do something, and you'll find that it has much more reward than, than non-reward for yourself. And I think that we're living in this kind of time and era when there's a, a feeling of judgment and a feeling of like, oh yeah, is this the right thing to put online or is this the right thing to show somebody? Is it going to reflect badly on me? But I feel like it's better to contribute and not for anybody that's going to like it or not like it, but for yourself. I think that the more that you're making and the more that you're doing, it's it's just going to give a sense of fulfillment in some way and i think that i'd rather be on the end of making something than not making something and that's just for pure happiness thank you guys for listening to the last episode of season one thank you jeffrey for having this conversation it was amazing um I'll, I'm going to link all Jeffrey's work and his Instagram in the description session, so go and check it out. As usual, go check out our website for more pictures, and uh, don't forget to support us on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash thesidecast. Yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I can't believe this is the end of season one. There's 14 conversations that you can go and check out if you missed any, and I would really like to thank a lot of people that helped me even start this podcast and yeah coco obviously coco she's i i wouldn't have done this without her thanks for alvaro to for inspiring this whole and supporting us as well uh thank you to the kennedys and obviously why didn't kennedy because yeah i had like such pleasure talking with such a bunch of absolutely amazing people also thank you for 
Chris Tyler for our soundtrack music because it would not be the same without the spacey crazy soundtrack uh, and Caitlin for for editing all all my descriptions because they would be very terrible without her and um, yeah thanks thanks guys for listening it's it's really amazing and um, there's gonna be season two don't worry don't worry there I've already it's already recorded I'm gonna take a month's break to sort some stuff out and come back all professional and cool and uh, yeah just just keep an eye on the sidecast and uh, there's gonna be loads of new updates uh, and I'm in Bali right now I'm recording season three if you know anyone in Bali who's doing super amazing side projects let me know and see you soon. Thanks for listening.